Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Hey, everybody, it's Hallie. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Allison. This is, it's so satisfying every time you forget your name. And it's, it's truly not intentional. This is not a no, bit that I am doing. I can barely get my name out. I'm Allison. It's Allison. Allison is here. Yeah, and we've talked about this before, but it is sort of like, you know, if you're introducing, you know, your your partner to someone you work with, someone you see every day. Yeah. So, but then that moment of like, I don't know it. It's you're, not there. It's like your mind just is. shuts down. It's like, I'm done now. You're you're on your own. <laughs> like that's what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess it's like the pressure of having to say your own name makes you I- unable to say your own name. It's so crazy because doing stand-up, I say mm-hmm. my own name to groups of people so often. Like right, that's, that's why you do it. So right. they know so your can, name. Yeah, exactly. It's and I host. Like I say other people's name. Like I don't understand why it's so challenging. But we did it. We made it. We're here. It is still February. It is still the month of romance uh, and horror, which all month we've been combining. But not only by sh- by talking about movies that are romance and horror, but also uh, reliving some of our own horrific romantic moments. And I've got one today that is. Upsetting. It's upsetting. I'm very excited. All of mine are like, I had, I drugedly had sex with this person, then something awful happened, which is like, perhaps some of this is on me. Um, I, but I feel like when, when I've had that in that scenario, I'm like, oh, the awful thing is just the fact it happened. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I wish I had like, and then this funny thing, it's like, eh, no, it just turns out that they had a terrible drug problem and it just, <laughs> neither of us were in a place where we could have a relationship. You know, that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so this was... This is the longest ago. I mean, I was like 22, and I was in, I was I was living in my parents' house in Maryland for a couple months between college and moving here, and I was like out at a bar with my friend, who was like hooking up with this guy that she had been seeing for a while, and so we're like out at a bar, and the guy and his friend came and like met us, and the friend and I like really hit it off. Or didn't. Like, I don't think we actually did. I think we were both just, like, drunk. And it was like, I, you and I, we'll do this. Um, but that's what it means to hit it off when you're 22. Yeah, there is nothing to hit off when you're 22. <laughs> Neither of you has a personality. <laughs> Your brain is just totally smooth. Like, there's just nothing there. Yes, there's nothing happening. So, you know, we're super drunk. We The four of us go back to this guy's house. And we, uh, you know stumble in the door and like my friend and the guy she was with like kind of went to one bedroom and and me and this guy that I had met like went upstairs to his and like you know had drunk sex and it was like fine or whatever and in the morning I came down into the kitchen for water and in the kitchen was a wall of cages of birds absolutely <laughs> there were 30 not 30 cages of birds absolutely not caged birds in the kitchen in the kitchen 
Describe I, the smell. Could you, is there a bird smell? So there is, but it's like, I'm like, of course I didn't like catch it on the way. Like that's how drunk we were on the way in. Like right. I just like missed like a menagerie. Um, <laughs> there's bir- 30 birds in one room. Right. It's like also they make noise. And I'm like, were they covered up last night? Like at night? Like, I don't know. I don't remember. The, the smell, I, I think I've blocked it out. It wasn't mm-hmm. so intense that like the whole house smelled like it. That's but good. like that room, it was noisy. And there were so many of them, and they seemed aggressive. <laughs> I mean, like, well, you're a stranger, so I'm sure in their mind it's like, oh, yeah. okay, so another one? We have to Time deal to, with this? Yeah, protect the kitchen. And only, and then after uh, the horror of that, and, like, I, he came downstairs, and my friend and, like, the guy she was seeing came in. And we were, it was revealed to us that not only did these birds live in this house, but this was his mom's house. Okay, <laughs> yes. This at least feels less... Like an episode of Hannibal. Because I was like, okay, right. so like he's a serial killer. He a 22 year old with 30 live, birds yeah, would be that's a like, absolute, that's a, it's a crime. I would not be telling that story because I would have been murdered. <laughs> yeah, you'd be turned into bird seed. They would yeah. never find you. They'd never find me. But the it, do, it, was, a, it yeah. was an older woman's house, which again, somehow 30, is okay. <laughs> I think you could have maximum, I'm going to say two birds. Yeah, I think two. You could have one and it could have a friend. I don't think you should have any, but I'm allowing. I understand that some people get upset that, like, their pets are not considered real. Well, I'm just going to say, this is no shade if, if either of you are listening, but um, Dave and I did receive a holiday card from a couple that has eight cats. And I do think that, that is, is too many cats. You can't be outnumbered four to one. No. I think you could have four four of the same pet. I'll allow the four of the same pet. Four? I That's think three. it. That's the max. I think three. Three? Okay. So she gave three birds, not thirty, times not 10. times ten, yeah. And then to have have them near the food is well, a whole other really, le- level of terror. I think that that terror. was my almost bigger concern than the oh, number absolutely. was the location. The location was a. Pro- I'm like they're just in the and you know if you have thirty birds in your kitchen, you know those things are flying around free for most of the day. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they're putting their little feet on the bread. Yeah. Oh God. Like if you're the kind of person that has thirty birds in your kitchen, you're the kind of person that's like. Here, live in the house with me. So. I guess the, the only other sadder option is that they never get out of their cages. So then it's 30 mm. birds trapped next to each other, yeah. isolated, like they're in prison. Birds are dark. I don't I don't like, it feels, they're so trapped. Whereas like cats and dogs, yeah. it's like, I don't know, I'm protecting you from the elements and I feed you. Like, Yeah, birds, you can sit on the couch. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> enjoy this, being touched Lounge. by a human. Do birds even like that? I don't even know. No, I don't think that birds like being touched. What are we doing to them? Why are we doing this? We should, they shouldn't be pets. They're um, so cute, though. No, okay. I know. I, I, I think I, they're cute to look at. I would never have a, a bird oh, in my yeah, home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like two little, yeah. like cute little, like, like pretty a pair colored. Of yeah. yeah. I feel like I've, I've talked about this before because it was just so haunting to me. But there's a This American Life about pets, and they interview this woman who's had a parrot. I believe she got it when she was in her 20s, and now she's it was at least 25 years later. Yeah. They and, live a long time. Yeah, I mean, they, I think those, like, African greys could live 50 years. Like, yeah. they're incredibly— So they, they interview this woman now as an adult. She has two kids and a husband, and you just hear the parrot screaming the entire time. <laughs> and the kids are like, we don't like the parrot. It tries to bite us. It screams <sighs> all day. And the woman's like, well, I, you know, we're bonded. Like, we can't, no. you know, like— And then they tell the story of this parrot ends up escaping somehow, <laughs> like, probably desperate to be free, no. and flies up into a tree. This woman— Climbs up in the tree, falls out of the tree, almost dies, breaks both of her legs. And then they're interviewing her. And they're like, did this ever give you pause, like, about 
owning the parent, like where you're at emotionally with a parent. And she was like, you know, I think if anything, it brought us closer together. (gasps) And the reporter says, well, you know, the parent doesn't know that this happened, right? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, what? Grim. Yeah, that's like, we all love our pets, but like there is a line where it's like that woman, yeah, she likes her family, but she's, She's in love with this parrot. Like, that's mm-hmm. her person. Mm-hmm. And that's not right. Mm-mm. And speaking of not right, we've got some real spooky scares yeah, coming some, up for you. Some not right stuff is going on <laughs> in this episode that's coming. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we get better and better at doing these. You know what I mean? Like, every word we're saying is like poetry. <laughs> we might be like the best people that have ever done this. <laughs> Just my opinion. Having never listened to one episode of any podcast, I have to assume that we are. <laughs> I know. We're killing it. Please enjoy, speaking of being killed, please enjoy this episode of Ruined, and we'll see you next week. And until then, remember, we love you. you. If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help ease your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening so you never to have a spooky time. It's ruined. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Ruin. I'm Hallie. And I'm Allison. And this is a podcast where we take a horror movie and we tell you each little bit that's inside it. And we open it up and examine them. And then we sew it back up for your enjoyment. Yeah, kind of. Thanks for backing me up on that one. Really, really, yes, and. <laughs> yeah, that's really, I mean, like, what? I'm, I'm a great improviser. We all know this. Um, I was going to more liken it to, like, opening it up like a Cadbury egg for some, when you were talking, Ooh, I was okay. getting the image of opening a Cadbury egg, but you can't sew those back together as they are a complete and utter mess the second that you break that chocolate, so. I'm going to be honest, I don't like a Cadbury egg. I I would say, like, once every other year, I, like, really want one, Um Okay. What I do like are the Cadbury mini eggs that are the milk, cho- solid milk chocolate covered by the hard uh, ceramic-like sugar shell. <laughs> I feel like I like those even w- worse. I like less, bad things, less. and we know this. I Yeah, I wonder what happened to you during childhood <laughs> that made you this way. I would say that mini eggs are Whoppers adjacent. Yes, absolutely. They're like inside-out Whoppers almost, but without the malt flavor, which is what some people is the only thing that they like about Whoppers. You like a hard candy that breaks apart into powder. I do. That is something I like. But you like horror movies, and thus, uh, you know, we both disagree on things. I love them. And I I guess this is a a natural segue or an unnatural segue to the movie for this week. Uh, We are doing Lars Van Trier's Antichrist. And Allison, uh, we always like to have her watch the trailer to get her her first thoughts. What did you think of the Antichrist trailer? I did not like it. I'll yeah, tell you that. I didn't think I, you would. I didn't think you would. And I will say it is it is about 4.30 here in New York, p.m., and it's just getting dark enough that I think if I had watched <laughs> it a few hours ago, I would have been slightly more okay. And the fact that it's, like, just a little dimmer, it's a little, like— the sun is gone. It's it's a little darker in my apartment. Like, I didn't need that part. That sucked. <laughs> yeah, I feel like horror is like caffeine to you, where it's like you can't take it, you can't enjoy it later in the day because then you'll be up all night. No, I can only really do it in the morning when I'm having bread. <laughs> <laughs> That's when I eat my toast. Um, this looks very upset. I Like, I've heard, I don't know anything about what this movie is about, 
But mm-hmm. anyone I talk to about horror movies sometimes, like, this movie comes up as, like, that's a fucked up, like, I love horror and I couldn't even watch. I mean, like, our producer Sabrina said it herself. She turned this movie off because it was too scary. Um, but this one, def- the trailer is, the trailer was really upsetting. I've seen, like, scarier thing. Like, this is, like, I think what makes the trailer so upsetting is how much of it, nothing is happening. Okay, yeah, um, I can see and that. And that you're just kind of, like, sitting in the unease of what this movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, hated it. I definitely feel like I was not excited to watch this. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like so many of the movies, I um, really, you know, I'm enjoying it, even if um, I've seen it before. But I feel like this, I just was putting it off forever because it's such a an intense, awful viewing experience, which is the point of the film, obviously. Like, it's right. not, they don't, this is not like, Again, this isn't Leprechaun, okay? In both a good and a bad way, this is no Leprechaun. <laughs> right, right, right. And we also like to take a baseline scary. And this is a hard one to sort of pinpoint what exactly this movie is about, which you will all understand when you hear me try to describe what this movie is about. It's like, yeah. I don't know. So I'm just, I, I mean, like, I've looked up a lot of, like, interpretations of it. And I, I th- we're just going to go with what I think the film mm-hmm. is about. And, uh, Allison, tell me, how scary do you find the concept of human nature? Oh, very. Okay. Yeah, human, yeah, that's, I mean, yes, very scary. That's something that I, like, when I think about, like, the concept of human nature, like, Mm -hmm. something that comes to mind is, like, the book, The Secret History. You know, it's, like, those. I don't, what's that? What's The Secret History? Oh, you would love it. It's very long, though. Um, uh, I got time. It's the lady that wrote The Goldfinch. Oh, okay. Um, Which I have also not read, but I have heard of. But it's it's about, like, there's, you know, it kind of, it, I don't want to give it away because I think you should read it. It's really good. But, like, you, it's about kind of, like, how human nature can unfold into, like, its worst, its worst iteration and what that can mean and, like, how people okay. get there. Yeah, and I think that's, that's basically what this movie is about. And I think that there's sort of... Uh, this movie is sort of connecting our ideas about nature as it exists, like wilderness and, and the wild, with human nature and sort of saying, if if this, then what else? You know, like we yes. like to think of ourselves as separate from the natural world, but if we're not, then what does that say about us and what we are capable of mm-hmm. and, and how should we interpret um, people's actions, basically, I think. And um, before we get started, Allison, do you think there will be a twist? And if so, would you like to guess it? Guess the twist. I mean, I think there are def. I feel like this movie is like twist heavy in the sense that like every piece of information you learn will feel like one. Mm-hmm. Again, like the trailer gives me no sense of what it's about, nor have any conversations I've had with anyone who has seen or even heard about this movie. No okay, one great. ever talks about what it's about. So it's like hard to predict, but um, I definitely think something about like what's happening out in the woods will be surprising. Okay, great. That That is pretty much, I would say, that the film in a nutshell. <laughs> People go to the woods and then something real surprising happens. <laughs> great. <clears throat> so let us begin. We are about to ruin Antichrist. All right, we open on our couple. Oh, also, the, there's a couple. It's about a couple. They do not have names. I will be referring to them by their actor names because I just can't do it. No, uh, yeah. And so they are, our lead leads are Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg. I'm just going to call them Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah, that's fine. Because I, it's just like Tenet, how like the main characters call like the protagonist. 
no. No. No, we're not, I'm not doing this. No, absolutely not. So we open on our main characters, Willem Dafoe and Charlie Gainsbourg. They're a married couple, and they are making passionate love in slow motion, black and white with opera playing. They're, they're having sex in the shower. They're having sex in the laundry room. While they are having sex, we see their toddler son, whose name is Nick, get up out of his crib and go to the window and fall out to his death. Oh, no. So they don't notice. We also see, like, the washing machine is going. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, they they didn't hear him, obviously. Right. Like, they're having, right. like, and good for them that they're having, like, passionate sex and they're a married yeah, couple. Yeah, don't let having a child ruin your sex life. Unfortunately, mm. be- because they were both distracted and the washing machine was on, Nick has died. Again, you really what this is is you have to have screens on your window, like those ca- child guards. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is it, like if they had had those, this movie would not have happened. So yeah. that's my first take on that. And on there, we see three little statues on one of their desks, either uh, presumably Charlotte's desk, and they're little figures that say pain, despair, and grief. And as Nick gets up, he sort of brushes them off the desk, and then he topples out into the snow and dies. And it's oh, that's that's our a prologue that we see on the screen, chapter one, grief. So we're getting okay, into so it. Okay, so we're going to fall out. We already have kind of a rubric for what we're doing here. Exactly. We know what, what has happened that has led this couple to the brink of grief. So we see them at the funeral, and Charlotte Gainsbourg collapses. And then we see her in a hospital. She's been there a month. She was hospitalized, and basically Willem Dafoe's character is her husband and a psychologist. So he's not a psychiatrist. Oh, okay. And so um, I guess her, care, her therapist's name is Wayne, yeah, which is a fun character name. And he tells her that she has atypical grief, which is really interesting. And so I looked it up, and that is a term, a psychological term, where basically you have um, like a debilitating grief that affects your quality of life for over 12 months. So it's sort of like, I, and I think this sort of speaks to like what the film is commenting on, where it's like trying to, how do you treat somebody's grief as a medical issue or like as an mm-hmm. issue to be resolved in mm-hmm. any way. Right. When it is like, it's an ir- an unsolvable issue that their child has died. Yeah. So it's like Ooh. they're treating her in the hospital. However, unfortunately, Willem Dafoe's character is like, you know, I don't, I, you're on too much medication. They shouldn't put you on all this medication. I know you 10 times, I know 10 times more about you than they know. I am able to treat you. So he basically strong arms her into leaving the hospital and going home. And going off all her medication? Going off all her medication, and when they get home, we see her dump her medication into the toilet. And that's what he wants her to do. Right. So already you're like, okay, well, no. you're, then you're already setting yourself up for right. disaster. You can just, like, stop taking anything. <sighs> yes. And especially when it's like, this is, she is overcome to the point where she had to be hospitalized for a month with grief. Clearly, she's not dealing well with it. And then... You know, there's also, she says to him, and that's a lot of, like, the beginning is, like, her saying to him, like, hurtful but true things about their relationship. And she does say at a certain point, like, they tell you never to treat your family. And he's, like, I—basically, he's so arrogant, he thinks that he could be her therapist. Yeah. And he could control— sounds like a man. And and so that's a lot of what this movie is, is, like, his arrogance with regards to what is going on with her and then her sort of descent into her grief— you know, in the way that she does. And they go home, but, like, all she could do at home is curl up in a ball and scream and cry. You know, it's not like she's, like, doing great as soon as they go home. So, and uh, she just constantly wants to have sex and, like, have, like, ravenous, like, fucking, because it's, like, the only thing that will, like, break up 
her like yeah. it, days like, es- of you grief. like escape from the like current reality, and you're like that's like if you know. I guess you can exactly. have sex and be thinking about other things. We've all done it, but like it's hard to tap into grief while fucking. I think yeah, and it's like her like this is the only solace that she has. And yeah. he basically refuses to and says, well, you don't have sex with your therapist, which is like, then why are you her therapist? You, sh- you shouldn't be treating her. That's like- Right, you're her husband. You're not, you shouldn't be her therapist. Is their house in the woods or have we not got, like- We've not gone there yet. Okay, yeah, they'll just okay. live in an apartment, you know, I think. Okay. Oh, they're in Seattle. So we see Willem Dafoe and he, we see him get a piece of mail and it's the coroner's report because I guess- the, they did an autopsy on their son, but he doesn't open it. He just puts it into his pocket. Mm-hmm. And you see him, like, trying to treat um, Charlotte, and basically she says to him, you know, I was never interesting to you until now. Like, now I can be your patient. Because you really never paid attention to me or our son, okay? And and I oh, understood okay. it. Like, she's lashing out at him, but maybe right. she was also right. You know, like, he's a very cold sort of analytical person, and she says to him, you know, like last summer, she went up to their cabin, which is in Eden, obviously, okay. a little on the nose with the title. I but see. And she's, so basically, she went to this cabin in Eden to finish writing her thesis. I was like, and of course, she didn't finish it. I was like, yeah, because you were taking care of a three-year-old alone in the woods. Yeah, that's like not when you're like, I'm going to do my best academic work and really like dig into some heavy, uh, like thought, whatever she's studying and writing about. Like, there's just no world. And so but, but, but both of them seemed to be of the, of the impression that somehow she was going to be able to write. And I was like, there's no way. Like a three-year-old demands your no. attention all the time. Yeah. And so there's sort of conflict as her being like, I just, I just feel like is this, there's something unnatural about my grief. And him being like, grief is natural. It's a natural process. You, you have to just go through it and into it. And the, I think the argument of the movie is just because something is natural does not mean it is good. Okay, that's so, quite a thesis. Yeah, so her grief might be natural, but that does not mean it is not dangerous. Right. But his whole thing is like, just because you feel a certain way is not dangerous in and of itself, which is also true. You know, like they both are- Yeah, yeah, those have are both points. like realities that you can yeah. like make sense of. And she said, you know, you've always been really distant from me and from Nick, and that, la- that was his last summer- because now we know it's winter. It's like, that was his last summer and you weren't there and you missed out on this experience. And he doesn't really have a response to that. Like, I think on some level, he knows that it's true. And she's like, you also said that my thesis was like glib or like a lie or something. So I just lost interest in it. And we don't know what her thesis is yet. But she's sort of like indicting him on all these points. Meanwhile, he's trying to help her move through. Like, she keeps having like panic attacks in the middle of the night. He wakes up and she is slamming her head against the toilet. I think to knock herself out so she could like okay. just not be in pain all the time. And finally yeah. he relents and like has sex with her. And he's like, this, we can't keep doing this. Like this is obviously not a healthy way. She needs to be hospitalized. Right. She needs to be medicated. Right, she needs to be medicated and hospitalized and not under the psychological care of like her husband with whom she has already like clearly a lot of thoughts about their own relationship. Exactly. Right, and that's like, that's why you don't have a family member be your therapist. It's like, you need to talk to a therapist about your family about your member. family, yeah. Especially right. if it's a child's death and you want to talk about your partner, obviously. Yes. And so Willem Dafoe is like, okay, we're going to make a list of all the things you're afraid of and put it on a pyramid. And uh, eventually the work too, it's like not what she's afraid of, but where she's afraid of. And she is terrified of the idea of going to the cabin. 
and being in the woods and being in nature, she feels like it's dangerous. And he's like, great, then we need to do immersion therapy and take you there. Why? Again, I don't think that that is a good, I don't think a therapist would say that. I'm going to say this. I think he's a bad psychologist. Yes. And on top of it, he is treating his own wife. But that's what we're setting up is like, he is so um, sure of like control of his understanding of the world that he is, he's going to place that onto her, whether or not that in reality exists. Right. So we are going out to, so they're taking the train um, from Seattle up to wherever their cabin is. And he's having her do like on the train, like guided meditation. Mm -hmm. And he has her like, you're walking through the forest. And it's very beautifully shot. Like she's sort of like ghost-like, like walking through the fog in her mind's eye. And she walks across this footbridge and she finally gets to the cabin and he has her in her mind, lay down in the grass outside the cabin. And he says, let yourself dissolve into the green. Like just let yourself dissolve into nature. This I think is a bad suggestion. For, I, dep- based on her actions later, I don't think letting your mind dissolve into nature was the right thing to have her do. Yeah, no, I think dissolving into a hospital bed under the care of others would possibly have been a better alternative. Right, and I think Wayne, you know, maybe, yeah, sure, maybe he had, hadn't had as much experience as Willem Dafoe's character, but I think Wayne had a perception of this couple that was more accurate than their perception of one another, again, based I, on yes. um, what's, but, but honestly, the meditation seems to help. So finally, they, they, they have all their stuff and they're hiking up to the cabin. And, and as, as they're going, Charlotte, like, pulls off her shoe all of a sudden and says, the ground is burning. And he's like, no, it's not. And we, but we look at the bottom of her foot and it's bright red. And so I don't know if we're supposed to think like, oh, is it actually burning her foot? Or is it, like a blister? Is it a, burn her, a blister, but she's interpreting it as this as like fire. totally different thing. So they're walking up the hill and she asks him in the middle of the, of the woods, can I just lay down and take a nap? And he's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And because she's exhausted and, you know, obviously he's trying to be nice. And it's like a very beautiful like, Glade, and she lays yeah, down. Yeah, looks very pretty in the trailer. You're just like, oh, this is a gorgeous expanse yeah. of land. Stunning. And so we, she lays down, and he sort of like is like walking around, like enjoying nature, and he sees right near him a deer. And it's sort of like the deer looks at him, and, and he's having this really like positive, like beautiful interaction with nature. And then the deer turns around, and hanging out of the deer's vagina is a dead fawn. And the fawn is, like, caught. <sighs> so, like, clearly the deer was giving birth and the and fawn got caught got and died. Stuck. And then now it's just hanging out of her vagina. Oh, my God. Chapter 2, pain, it, it parentheses, chaos reigns. Okay. Okay. So, I, <laughs> so the, de- the dead fawn is just so many examples of, like, every time a human tries to interpret nature as, like, beautiful or meaningful or peaceful— Nature turns around and was like, take a look at this, bitch. Like, <laughs> there is so much death out here. Like, it's all death. Yeah. And that's, and it sort of reminded me of Warder Herzog. Like, he has a lot of quotes about how mm-hmm. nature is, like, sort of primitive, like, primeval yeah. and violent. violent. And humans' interaction with it, we sort of have to think of it as this peaceful thing because we do not want to identify ourselves as, as part of part nature. Part of nature. So I think this is also playing with those ideas. So Charlotte wakes up and Willem Dafoe's just like sitting there like, oh God, like still shaken from the deer. Yeah. Um, and so we we get to the footbridge, which she had Wait, imagined. only he saw that? She didn't see that? She didn't see that, no. Okay. Yeah, which is good. Yeah. Good she didn't see that. Yeah. I don't think no, it would have helped. That, I don't think that this woman can handle seeing that. 
And so they are walking up, and we see the footbridge that she had imagined in her meditation that he was guiding her through on the train. And she's going to walk across the bridge, and she's panicking, and then she just takes off running across the bridge and Mm -hmm. runs to the cabin. By the time he gets there, she's asleep. So Willem Dafoe's just kind of, like, setting up the cabin, and he finds a bunch of Polaroids that she took of herself and Nick last year at the cabin. So just, like, finding stuff from last year. Um, And that night, they hear all this noise hitting the tin roof of the cabin. And she said, oh, it's just the stupid acorns because it's an oak tree. So it's just like hundreds of acorns like sort of raining down. down. Yeah. So he wakes up and Willem Dafoe wakes up and the window is open. His hand is outside and his hand are covered in these giant bloated white ticks. (gasps) And and he obviously freaks out and like knocks them off. But it's just sort of like, I think like an example of like, nature is just going to try to like constantly attack you. Destroy you. And break, destroy you. Also like nothing is scarier than like a bug that's the wrong color. It's like, they are disgusting. Ticks They're should the worst. be black. Yeah. Like in the, like usually the ones I'm familiar with. So like when you see yeah. a white, you're just like, what? Don't and, like but it. He, he brushes them off and then he's trying to think of like, oh, what could I, what exercise could I do with Charlotte? So he has her do an exercise where she walks on the grass between two rocks and she's like really distraught. And the idea of walking on the ground is very distressing to her, but she does it. And again, mm-hmm. like they have this like moment of success where she, he's like, look, like you're able to do this. Like if you could do this, you could do anything. And she's like, okay. Literally, then a baby bird falls out of a nest into an anthill and you see all the ants running all over the baby bird. Oh and then a hawk, a hawk swoops down, picks up the baby bird, and then just takes up into a tree and rips it apart. Cut to Charlotte in the cabin sobbing. Yeah. And it's true. It's just like any time— Nature is is beautiful and welcoming, but it's also brutal and terrible and filled with rotting things. Yes. So, you know, and it's like— unrelenting. Like, unrelenting. nature does not yes. pause, like, for you to regroup. Like, there is constant, like, death and violence, like, yeah. in nature at all times. Like, that it is inescapable. So that evening they're talking and she said, you know, when I was here this summer, I was afraid, but I didn't think of, I didn't know what I was feeling was fear. And we find out that her thesis is about gynocide, which is sort of like a historical look at the murder of women for a lot of different reasons. But in this case, sort of the uh, persecution and killing of women who were considered witches, like in the 16th century, seems to be the focus. So she's sort of making this, like, collage and putting it together. And sort of it's all about, like, women who studied, like, natural religions and, like, their belief systems and, like, how people thought they were evil and that kind of thing. And it's sort of, you know, from what we hear— that's what she's working on. She said, something happened last summer. And she, and she tells Willem Dafoe this, what happened, which is she's working on a project. She hears a baby crying. She's like, oh, Nick. Also, she's leaving this kid, like, downstairs. Like, the kid is in the shed playing with a log. No. And again, I'm, I hang out with a three-year-old a lot. You're never letting that kid out of your sight. No, absolutely not. Especially in the woods. Right, right. Where you're like, I, you have no control over what's happening. And so um, she goes and she finds Nick. Nick is not the one crying. She walks outside, and the forest is just filled with a crying baby sound. And she's like, I don't know how to explain that. Well, I'm like, okay, you experienced something that you can't explain, but that doesn't mean, you know, it just means that you, you interpreted something out in the woods as a baby crying. Right. You know, it doesn't mean that an actual baby is crying, you know. And then Charlotte attacks Willem, and he, she, like, smashes the glass out of his hands, and he wrestles her to the ground, and she tells him, you shouldn't have come here. 
You're so goddamn arrogant. But this might not last. Have you thought of that? Allison, I got to ask you at this point, what would you do? What would you do? I mean, if I'm her, I'm like, take me home. Take me back to the city. Okay. Check me into a hospital and drug me the fuck up because something is wrong with me. Yeah. That would be my, what I would do if I were her. If I were him, I would stop psychologically treating my wife and who is also, we have both suffered a loss together recently. Like, stop it. Right, you were also traumatized. Right, right. Like, I feel like that's not part of his, he's like, I am a doctor. And it's like, you are also a grieving father. So, yes, (laughs) what's happening? So, that night, they're listening to the acorns fall again and Charlotte tells Willem, basically like, oak trees make and drop hundreds and hundreds of acorns. But they really only, like, need to have one acorn grow every hundred years in order for, like, that genetic line to propagate. Which means most of the acorns they make are made to just die on the ground. Yes. And she says some things I think are salient to her point of view at this point. She says, everything that used to be beautiful about Eden was perhaps hideous. And I heard, she's like, I heard that cry. And what that cry is... It was like, I heard the cry of all the things that are to die. Oh, God. And Willem says, well, that would be very touching if this was a children's book. And he sort of dismisses, like, her, yes, like, is she being metaphorical? Well, let's hope so. But she, I think she's connecting to, like, nature is full of death and my son died. And aren't we a part of nature in this way that it is, it's, it's, it's tragic. And I think that's, like, the human experience is, like, you have to accept death as a natural part of life. But that doesn't mean it's not terrible. Yes, yes. And she could be grieving while also, like, reconciling, like, what this all means. Like, there's, like, let her use a metaphor here and there. (laughs) Unfortunately, Charlotte then tells him, Nature is Satan's church. Oh. And um, Willem goes and he has, like, a fear pyramid, and he puts Satan at the top of it, trying to analyze, you know, Charlotte, and then he crosses out Satan. He's like, it's not Satan. Mm. And... While Charlotte's asleep, Willem finally opens the report from the coroner. And he looks outside and he sees himself as if in a dream. He's standing in a rain of acorns. So I think I that's supposed to be like him understanding of his own offspring dying. Yes. And looking at this document, maybe it's like because it's a document, he's allowed to like engage right. with it rather than yeah. his emotions. In the morning, Charlotte looks amazing. Like she's energized. She's like, I'm feeling good. She she runs and out of the cabin. We don't see what was on the coroner's document. Like we don't Not know. Yet. Okay. No. Um, she runs out of the woods and she crosses the bridge and she puts her hand in uh, the old foxhole, which she also imagined she had a dream, which is like a foxhole. And she puts her arm in and she's like, I'm not afraid anymore. Like I'm fine. It, you cured me. You're a genius. Mm-hmm. Willem, of course, wisely is like, now nah, this team this seems a little sudden. Yeah. Like, so you know, he's saying like, is she manic? Like is she you yeah. know like that's to a switch on a dime to come to. But she's like, oh, you don't think that I'm, you know, like, you can never be happy for me. Like, you you just have to psychoanalyze everything. Which, to be fair, th- she hasn't been doing great. So, can we really blame him for trying yeah. to do that? Right. And she storms off. And when she storms off, Willem, you know, he's sort of like, oh, boy, did I blow it? And he looks over it in the underbrush. He sees some rustling. And she he walks over. And it is a disemboweled fox that is still alive. And it seems like in its dying, like, you know, like, its brain has stopped working. So it's just eating its own entrails. Okay. And then Allison. No. The fox turns to him 
And the fox says in a very deep man's voice, Chaos reigns. Let us begin chapter three, despair. Parentheses, guide aside. So as he's staying there, like, uh, it starts raining really heavily. He goes back up to the cabin and Charlotte's asleep. While she's asleep, he goes up into the attic, which is, like, where his, the study is, and he mm-hmm. finds all of her research papers. And he's looking at, like, all of these documents, like, which is being killed, and he finds a map of constellations called, um, one of, of a fox called Pain, a bird called Despair, and a deer called Grief. And those constellations are called the Three Beggars. And he's like, well, that's interesting. And we see her notebook from the last summer when she's writing. And we see over time her handwriting is getting worse and worse to the point where the last pages are incomprehensible. So he's thinking, okay, so did she have a mental breakdown back then? Right. And this is just a repeat of that. And I didn't know because I wasn't here. Like, I wasn't here to— Right, like, he didn't know he was bringing her back to a location that is, like, you know, wrought with— this experience that she had. To, I mean, to be fair, though, she told him this is the place I'm most afraid of, probably because she, you know, ostensibly had this episode or whatever that he didn't know about. Yeah, he's not a listener. Yeah, I don't know. Again, he thinks he has such control. So, like, this yeah. is all just, like, data that he's interpreting. Right. And so they sort of have this com- conversation, which, again, I think illuminates sort of the the premise of the the movie, which is, you know, um, he's like, we're going to have another exercise. I'm going to be nature and you're going to be rational thinking, okay? And we're going to discuss. And Willem says to her, you know, I want to, I'm nature. I want to hurt you as much as possible by killing you. I'm not just the nature outside. I'm the human nature. I'm the nature of all human beings, Mm -hmm. which are not separate. And Charlotte says, yeah, I did some studying about that. And she basically says, you know, she, I found something in my research. She says, if human nature is evil, then that goes as well for the nature of... Of the women. Female nature. Women do not control their own bodies. Nature does. Now, you could argue nature controls everybody's body, including men. Right, right. But nature but, does have more of a hold over women. That there is more about our bodies that is out of our control than a man has in his body that's out of his control. Yeah. So Willem says, so what I'm interpreting you saying is that the literature you used in your research about evil things committed against women, you read as proof that women are evil. Like, you were supposed to be critical of these texts, but instead you are, you think that that might be true. And Charlotte's like, no, I didn't know, I don't know why I said that. I don't, I don't think that. Like, she immediately backs down. Okay. But she has said something where she is like, basically like, are women evil? And if so, am I evil? You know? And I think it's supposed right. to be like, it's tied into, I, I let my child die. Yes. I am responsible for his death. I brought him to the world, and he died. Am I evil? And and they have a lot of conversations where it's about the nature. How do you know something's nature? And the answer is, like, sort of, like, only in retrospect. And he's like, you can't, you know, basically, like, you would only do something terrible if you were already that person. But the question is, how do you know what you already are until you do something terrible? Right, yes. And the answer is it's you can't. Schrodinger's cat kind of situation. Yes. And I think he's supposed to represent, I think he represents God, and she's like Mother Nature, essentially. And sort of God tries to, like, bring order. And then Mother Nature is like, it's, op- but not like in a positive Mother Nature. It's right. like operating out of things that, like, are so far back in our lizard brain mm-hmm. that to try to, like, you could only say in retrospect, like, oh, this was evil, or this was wrong. But, like, when right. somebody was doing it, their understanding of the world was that it was right, or, like, mm-hmm. that it, they couldn't help themselves, I suppose. Yeah. 
Anywho, they're having sex later, and Charlotte is really distressed, and, like, the sex is not pacifying her the way it has. So she says, would you hit me? And it's sort of like the escalation of this, like, really, like, intense sex they've been having. And he's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm not into that. And she says, if you don't hit me, you don't love me. And he says, well, then maybe I don't love you because I'm not going to hit you. So she storms out into the woods, and he finds her, and she is masturbating naked in, like, the roots of a tree. And he slaps her in the face twice, and then they have sex. And while they're having sex, she says out loud, the sisters from Ratsborn could start a hailstorm. And we saw all these images of witches. It's not spelled out, but I think we're supposed to think in her in her study, she found like these women who had these natural powers, and she believes that that might be true. Like it is possible okay. to have there power over nature. Yes. Like to be in such a state that you connect with nature in this way that affects it, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, it doesn't make sense, but I get her rationale and, and being there. Yeah, and as they have sex, we see, like, all these limbs of all these bodies inside the tree, which I interpreted to be, like, okay, like, they're having sex. It's, like, procreative sex, and all of these, like, every human who has died is now part of the ground. So it's, like, they're having sex on top of and in spite of all of the death that has been over the however many tens of thousands of years until humanity existed, you know? Yes. So in the morning, they're having another argument, and Willem just says, good and evil have nothing to do with therapy. Which I'm like, okay, I think we're a little beyond that. Yeah, therapy has factored out of this long ago. Yeah. And he says, do you know how many women were killed in the 16th century? And it wasn't because they were evil. And Charlotte says, I know, it's just that sometimes I forget. And and his thing is that, like, she's obsessed. Like, she's obsessing. Like, she's Mm -hmm. saying, I'm evil, women are evil. And it's like, your fixation on this doesn't make it real. Like, just like when you're anxious, just because you're anxious about something does not make the thing you're anxious about real. So it's like your emotions do not affect the world. And he says, your fixation on evil doesn't make you into someone who would do something evil unless you were someone who was already going to do something terrible. But that's a hard thing of like, how do you know if you're already that person? Right, you can't, it's something, it's unknowable until it's too late. Yeah, and then the thing that we, brings this to a head is, she finds the copy of their son's autopsy, and what it says is the only abnormality in the victim is a slight deformity of the bones of his feet at an earlier date. We do not attach any significance to this. And Willem goes and he shows Charlotte the Polaroids from her summer at the cabin, and she has put the shoes on Nick's feet, on the wrong feet. And she's like, that's weird. It must have been like, I was just had like a weird off day. And then we look, and it's in every Polaroid. Every oh my day— God. And we have a flashback to Nick crying as she's putting on his shoes. So every day she forced his shoe, the wrong shoes onto his feet over and over again. And so then later, Willem is looking at the pyramid of what he thinks Charlotte's afraid of, and he puts at the top me, meaning herself. Like, she's afraid of herself. Charlotte, yeah. Yes. So then the question is, if she's someone who would do that, one, why was she doing it? Two, does she know why she was doing it? And three, does that make her evil? Yes. I have all of those questions. So, (laughs) Just then, as he's looking at his pyramid, Charlotte attacks him, screaming that she knows he's trying to leave her. And she pushes her to the ground, and she takes off his pants, and they're, like, fucking on the floor of the cabin. During which Charlotte jumps up and grabs a log and hits Willem Dafoe to the dick so hard (gasps) that he passes out. And while his dick is still hard, she jerks him off until he comes blood. Right? Oh, my God. While Willem is still unconscious— I did not see that coming. I did not, like, literally. anticipate— I, Yes, I did not see that coming, and I don't want to see that coming. Um, 
So wow. while he's unconscious, she takes a heavy, it's like a um like a knife sharpening stone. She takes it off okay. the like knife sharpening block, yeah. block or whatever. And she uses a bolt through it and she uses a drill, drills through his leg and attaches this heavy stone through the bone of his leg. He would wake up, but okay. You would, yeah, you would definitely. Or he would never wake up. Or you would really, die. Those are two options. Or he would die. Puts it, and so there's like, it's so heavy, it's like you couldn't walk with it on. Yeah. And then she takes the wrench that so she attaches it and she throws it under the cabin. Oh my God. And then God. she, she then is she, evil. I mean, we've answered that question. Then she walks pantsless into the wood. Allison, let me ask you who will survive until the end of the film? Who will survive? Neither of them. I think everyone okay. dies. I think there's no way that they both survive or either. And then, do you want it? Do you think there'll be a twist, or do you think there'll, there'll be another reveal or anything? I do think another reveal is coming, but like honestly, each of these has been so unbelievably shocking that I can't right. even like begin to. Pr- I think that it will involve her, okay, and maybe their son. Okay, great. Like I think that there's some information coming about that, or like some kind of twisty type thing. But like I don't. It's not like all of a sudden like he's going to be like I'm okay. <laughs> Like, Again, survive. the information that is coming is through my interpretation of what happened. So, again, everything I'm saying, I'm like, this is what I think is happening in the movie, but it's very, it's very much you're given an image and use and left to interpret it. Yes, I will say at this point, and also this is like a larger conversation about this movie, but like I resent that it is using academic pursuits, research, and and debate in an evil way. Because I love, as an English major and, like, as, like, a film studies person, like, I love kind of, like, reading, interpret, like, thinking about, like, broader things, like, what is human nature? Like, how can we know one thing or another? Like, philosophical questions are, like, part of um, academic pursuits. And, like, I le- I think that's interesting. And I hate that it is being used in this. Yeah, I think that is why I, I personally think it's so scary because it's, like, the, what it's supposing is, like, we read the things about history that, like, we now now realize are wrong. Mm-hmm. and But somebody reads it and they interpret it as correct because they in themselves have something that they identify with that, if that makes sense. Like, it's sort of yes. like something within her is identifying with the idea that women are evil because something in her is, mm. to use this term, evil. But we yes. don't really know why. But I think that it speaks as, like, why does anybody hurt their child? Why does anybody right. do terrible things right. to family members or hurt other people? And what it suggests is that, like, if people do that, it it is something that is not, oh, they're not aware of or able to analyze in a way other than saying, this is maybe, maybe I am like these women, maybe I am evil. Right. That doesn't give you a lot of outs. You know what I mean? No, 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 no. There's, like, no room for yeah, anything. <laughs> and I guess it's, like, it's, like, trying— humans want, like, an answer. You know, like, yeah. and it's, like, Willem Dafoe's character, it's, like, I, it's, like, scientific. We could figure yeah. this out. Medical, There's a yeah. solution. And hers is, there is no solution. This is just na- nat- my nature. And as such, anything I do is almost, like, it's part of something that is so much larger than me. Yes. And I think the real answer is in the middle. And this is just sort of like how we're playing with these two ideas mm-hmm. of like, how do you do, how do humans deal with death knowing that death is all around us? You know? Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, 
The Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. All right, people, we all know the stakes of the 2024 election are high, whether it's keeping the Senate, taking back the House, or stopping Republicans at the state level. If you're ready to make a real difference, sign up for Vote Save America's 2024 volunteer program. And just to make it interesting, we're pitting you against each other. Vote Save America will sort you onto a team east or west, and you'll compete with a community of other volunteers to maximize your impact on the ground with opportunities tailored to you and the causes you care about. The team with the highest volunteering staff could secure the biggest prize of all, the continuation of American democracy. Head to votesaveamerica.com slash 2024 now and get ready to organize or else. This message has been paid for by Vote Save America. You can learn more at votesaveamerica.com and this ad has not been authorized by any candidate or candidates committee. Anywho, Willem wakes up and of course he freaks out because now there's a giant stone attached to his leg, which he cannot get out because she threw the wrench under the cabin. Right. So he starts dragging himself out of the forest. (gasps) She's like gone back into the cabin. She comes back and he's assuming, okay, she's going to kill me. So he drags himself into the foxhole to hide. And she is screaming and looking for him. Like, where are you? How dare you leave me? You said you wanted to help me. Like, where did you go? And while he's in the foxhole, he finds a crow that was buried in the hole, but it's still alive. Mm-mm. So he undigs it to sort of like save the crow. And the crow's cawing calls her over to the hole. Ugh, and so he, he tries to— win. I know. He tries to beat the crow to death with a rock, but it will not die. Like the crow keeps Continues going. to make the noise. And I don't know about crows, but I just imagine if you hit it with a rock once— it's, it's, it's a wrap on a crow. Yeah. You know, it's the size of like a baseball or whatever. Yeah, they're not like indestructible beings. Yes. They're very smart. So, he, but unfortunately, the crowing of the crow calls her over. And so she gets a shovel and she's trying to dig through the top of this, essentially like a, a fox burrow, yeah. I guess. So she's digging from the top of this knoll and he's like crawled in um, the side of it, like the little entrance. So he's trapped there. Cut to. Our final chapter, chapter four, The Three Beggars, who we also, remember, we saw earlier, The Three Beggars, a fox, a deer, and a uh, crow. Yeah. So it's nighttime. Willem is still in the foxhole, and she manages to dig down far enough that we see, like, his head emerge from the dirt. And she is, like, crying and apologizing and, like, pulling him out of the hole. And he says, take the stone off my leg, but she can't find the wrench. And we don't know whether she genuinely doesn't remember where she put it or she's just, like, I don't know. I gave on it. I lost it. Where is it? So she drags him back up to the cabin, and Willem is in and out of consciousness. And he says to her, did you want to kill me when you did this? And she said, no, not yet. The three beggars aren't here yet. When the three beggars arrive, someone must die. And Willem says, I see. I see. Yes. And she says a lot of other stuff where it's like a crying woman is a scheming woman, 
and sort of like, I think it's just like she is understanding herself as part of like, if I am evil like these witches, then I am part of the natural world in a way that like as horrible as it is makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And if these women were so powerful, they could connect to nature then it's almost like, well, it doesn't matter that my child died in a certain way where it's like, okay, well, his, he was going to die anyways. Right. So now that's something that like mentally I can deal with versus mm-hmm. there's nothing. There's no, it's just right. chaos. Just there's, chaos. It's just there's that. no reasoning. There's no predicting. There's no stopping what's going to happen. Yes. Again, this is what I'm taking. However, we then see a flashback. When they were having sex, she saw that Nick was getting up on the desk and she saw that he was falling out of the window, and she did nothing. <gasps> so I think to Willem's point, it's like, well, you would only do something if you were already somebody who was going to do something bad. And I think it's sort of like, well, she already was that person. He just didn't know. Right. But the question she is, knew. did she know? But, but when did she oh, know? Did she, was it last summer? Like, was it last summer? She was like, oh, I know that I'm one of these evil people. Mm-hmm. Was she always evil? And and she didn't and know? Aware. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Then Allison, I'm very sad to report, she cuts off her own clit with a pair of scissors. Oh my God. And she screams, and then outside a deer looks up and goes, oh, like while it's eating, which I, the that, poor, I mean, the poor funny. animals outside this cabin are like, what the fuck's going on in there? Wait, I don't like, I don't want to know the graphic specifics of it, but how do we know that's what she did? We see it graphically depicted oh. of close up on the screen. That, okay, you know what? I've heard that. That I've yeah. heard about this movie. Now it's, and, now that you say it, I remember yeah. it. I had blocked it because it's traumatizing. And again, I don't know what it means, but I guess what I think it means is sort of like her sex drive is like this like ravenous part of nature that like the desire to procreate is almost like what is driving her evil. It's like because they were having sex, she yeah. couldn't stop or wouldn't stop. And now she's trying to like cut this part of herself off so that to like, as either it's to punish or to like cut the part of herself that's like connected to nature off. Yeah. And also like it's so like feminine. Like you're, that's such yes. a, that's part of your like female anatomy in the way yeah. that like to, to do the same thing for a man would be to cut his dick off. Yeah. I guess that's so, like the closest you could get without just like fully disemboweling yourself. So Charlotte's not doing great. Obviously, she's starting to bleed. And Willem sort of wakes up and he looks out the window and he sees the constellation of the three beggars, which we saw up in her research. Mm -hmm. And he says, but there is no such constellation. And Charlotte's basically like, it doesn't really matter that there's no constellation. Like, the constellations are not real. Like, we, much like people throughout history, we're interpreting the stars. So to say that's not a constellation, it's like, Nothing is yeah, a constellation. Yeah, there's not like a real bear out that, like in the sky. Yeah. And so she screams no, and a hailstorm hailstorm starts, which she alluded to earlier. It's like those mm-hmm. witches could start a hailstorm. So it's like, again, like, is she causing this? Does she think she's causing this? And this is like proof that like I was right. Mm-hmm. She collapses the floor, and one by one, a deer, a fox, and a crow arrive at the cabin. So the three beggars have arrived. Okay. So someone must die. Somehow, it suddenly dawns on Willem Dafoe that the wrench must be under the cabin, so he just punches through the floorboards of the cabin and gets the wrench. <laughs> and he's able to get the stone off of his leg, but, like, Charlotte's attacking him and stabs him in the back with the scissors. And in order to escape, he strangles her to death. And it is a very long, terrible death sequence. <sighs> and in the morning, he burns her body in the pyre like a witch. Naturally. 
And as he like slowly walks out of the forest, you see like what looks like all of these like white, white, white bodies lining the forest floor, which again is supposed to be like throughout all of history, all these people who have died. And then finally our epilogue, as Willem oh, walks out of the forest, it's suddenly black and white again and the same opera is playing now that was playing at the beginning. And he stops to like eat berries and get his energy. And as he looks up, or looks down this hill, we see dozens and hundreds of women with their faces blurred out walking up past him into the forest. And that's the end. What? Allison, what do you <laughs> think this what do you think that means? I mean, it seems like it's trying to say that women are in fact evil. <laughs> right. That definitely it definitely seems like that's the conclusion. I have to ask I mean, I have a lot of questions, but I guess like one large looming one is like why is this called antichrist? I don't know. Is there uh, any? First of all, I guess we're supposed to think that, like, this is, in nature, the idea, so Christ is like the idea of redemption, mm-hmm. and I took it to be like their descent into nature proves that, like, there is no redemption, and, like, all of these things are just at play in a way that, like, humans can't control. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like in the way that, like, Jesus is part of humanity, well, she said, you know, nature is Satan's church. It's like there is only death and terror in nature yes. that is inescapably a part of our nature too. Okay. And there's no way to know. We can analyze it in retrospect, but we cannot control it. I don't know. That's, I mean, that's what I came to. No, I think that that's oh. like a pretty logical, like given this film. Like that's a logical kind of conclusion. And and summation. I think the reason that is like focus on gynocide, which is like, I think it's like in reality, the reason that kind of thing happened is like women become the focal point of like a lot of people's fears about nature mm-hmm. and like our desire to control nature and like, you know, the women's proximity, traditionally women's proximity to childbirth and death yeah. of children, like makes them sort of this emblematic of things that people are afraid of, which is true about history. Like the idea of like killing people because they're part of like a pagan religion. It's like that's, that has to do with control and fear and, and power within a society. Um, Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. If you have other questions, I'm I'm happy to try to field them, but I just don't know. I guess that was kind of the biggest one. I don't know. Cause I, to me, like all the nature stuff makes sense. But then like the idea of like, oh, her being, him eventually killing her and having to leave. Right. Like what, what is the end? Like, I understand kind of like the trajectory we're on and like the the large kind of like concepts we're dealing with, but like, what does the ending mean in, you know, in the well, context maybe it's, it's of like, that? is it like, okay, if she's nature and he's God or man, I suppose, Control, he's man. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like the only way that man knows how to interact with nature is to destroy it because it, it because he can't recognize its true nature, which is that like it operates on some totally other set of of understanding of the world, maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Guys, this is a puzzler for us. Let us know what you think of this movie. I would, I would, if for people who listen to this podcast, if you have seen this movie or done any research about it, I think that we would both like love to hear some, you know, theories, some interpretations, um, some ways that you've approached this movie. I know it's like a big one that people talk about. And when, as soon as you said that graphic scene, I instantly was like, people have told yeah. me about this. And that is exactly why I did not. I was like, something about this movie has like a very buzzy moment. There was like a scene that I knew was coming, right. but didn't know what it was until it came. 
I guess is it supposed to, maybe it's supposed to be like, this is the flip side of like the story of the Garden of Eden where like Eve took the apple and like had knowledge that God didn't want us to have. And she gave it, this is again, this is a Christian tradition. So basically Eve is the one who did it. Like women have been blamed for this. So this is the idea of like, we are reenacting this. And the reason that women get blamed is because like, that's, it's in humanity's nature to blame women and to punish women. Yeah. But also she was, I don't know, evil is a word, but like something was so direly wrong with her. It's like, right. She, she, she did try to kill him. You know, like she did like. Right. She was evil. Yeah. And I guess it's like, you know, Lars Trier was reading a little bit about it. It was basically like he wrote this about his own depression, which is also true of melancholia. Mm-hmm. And sort of like how our like death drive almost sort of like how like we can become so depressed and like so focused on death and like so obsessive yeah. about it. But yeah, it's almost like that part makes sense. I just don't know about the the guy side, like what sort of we're, we're supposed yeah, to take to, from that. Other than women yeah. inevitably get punished. And, and it's sort of the hubris of man that, that it puts into motion at the beginning this entire situation, I suppose. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I mean, I like it, but it's, it, boy, I tell you, it's not... That's something you just put on a Saturday afternoon and have a good time. You know? No, this isn't a casual watch. This is something you go in, I feel like, prepared and steeled uh, for the heavy yeah. themes and graphic violence. Well, speaking of, um, are there any fatal mistakes you think people made in the uh, in the movie? Fatal mistakes. I mean, I mean, him trying to treat her, them going back to the house in the woods, like... Him not taking her back to the city after opening that coroner's office. Like, one, yeah. like, that detail, I was like, oh, that's enough to be like, this is out of my... Yeah, like, yeah. I'm out of my depth here as a psychologist. If like Because that was like, already happening before their son died. Like, this was right. a... Pro- then that means that this was happening Right, then long there's ago. more than just grief going on here. Yes. Um, and honestly, I don't have another segment. I, I feel like our no. conversation is kind of, I mean, it is what it is. Our understanding of it is, is what it is. I think the movie is supposed to be open to a lot of interpretation. But yeah. Yeah. Um, where would you rate it on the spooky scale, Allison? A spooky scale. Whew. I mean, I'm going to give this a nine. Yeah. I think yeah. this is a nine. I, I, I mean, I would say it's a 10, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm saving 10 for. That's a really good point. Yeah. And I kind of almost don't want to know like what a 10 would be. Um, oh, I, I'm sorry. I gave the Baba Duke a 10. So maybe I should okay. give this a 10. I'm going to give this a 10 because this to me was um, uh, less upsetting than the Baba Duke in some ways, but more upsetting in other, than it in others. So I will give this a 10 and those will tie. Um, yeah, I'm going to say, um, I'm going to give this a 10 too, because I feel like it's genuinely very, just filled with dread, like a hereditary. And also, um, you know, like seeing those moments where it's like of graphic, horrible body horror, it, to me, the body horror, it, you know, it, it, there's nothing scarier than it. You know, like yeah. you're never going to show me a ghost and I'm going to be like, oh, that's scary. No, it's nope. like people cutting into their own bodies or drilling through someone's leg, that's that's going to be a 10, 10 for me, 10 cents, 10 across the board. 10, 10, 10, a perfect score. Um, um, well, guys, hope you enjoyed that or didn't yeah, enjoy it. Yeah, you know? I don't know if there's a way to actually enjoy that, but I am yes. really glad we did that movie because I do think it's me one too. that has 
definitely come up. Um, and again, like if you guys have theories or thoughts on like what this movie is about and what all of these things mean, uh, yeah. tweet at us or DM us on Instagram, both at Ruined Podcast, or you can email us. Uh, and the email is ruined at theradiopoint.com. Uh, you can also suggest other movies, other things that we missed and fucked up, and other things that uh, are in the realm of horror. Like, please, like, we want to engage. Engage with us. And in the meantime, please, keep it spooky. Keep it spooky. Bye, guys. Bye. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder, recorded and edited by Kat Iosa. Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode.